This episode of the MGMA podcast is brought to you by Walmart Business. It's the Walmart you love, now for business. Get everything you need for your staff and patients in one place. Enjoy big savings on health and safety products, cleaning supplies, over-the-counter medications, and much more. And don't forget the break room snacks. Create a free account today and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. This episode is brought to you by MGMA Events. Join us June 6th through the 8th for a robust and convenient learning experience featuring education from industry leaders covering a wide variety of challenges facing medical practices today. MGMA Summit is a signature online event that allows you to take control of your journey by attending live or by accessing the sessions at your own pace until July 8th. Go to mgma.com events to learn more and to register today. Healthcare is complicated, but you don't have to navigate the complexities alone. Care Allies collaborates with physician organizations to solve some of the toughest challenges on the path to value-based care. As your organization works to effectively manage your more vulnerable patient populations, enhance outcomes, and improve data analytics, Care Allies brings the people, technology, and processes to support you so you can focus on practicing medicine. Visit careallies.com to see how they can help to radically simplify value-based care. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Williams, Senior Editor of MGMA and host of the MGMA Podcast Network. Today, we welcome Dr. C.J. Wolf to the show. Dr. Wolf has earned his MD, his MED, and his CPC and he's on the faculty of health services at BYU-Idaho. Dr. Wolf is here to talk about coding and billing compliance enforcement updates. Wow, Dr. Wolf, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Daniel. I, I really appreciate the opportunity and I appreciate MGA, MGMA uh, for putting on such good uh, resources like this, the conferences, and it's just outstanding. You always do such a wonderful job. So thanks for having me. Thanks for that. Um, I'll be sure and tell the uh, conference team they uh, worked so hard. They put those shows on, take some, they, they're planning a year ahead. So it is an incredible, but you see it and it's seamless and the feedback we get, it's, it's just awesome. So I'm, I'm happy to be a small part of that. Yeah, it's great. All right. So before we take a deep dive into that coding and billing compliance, for our listeners, wanted you to just share with us where your focus is at BYU-Idaho. Sure. So um, I'm a faculty member there at BYU-Idaho in the health services department. Um, my focus uh, as full-time faculty there is in the healthcare administration program. So it's a, it's a bachelor's degree undergraduate program. Uh, a lot of our students will go on and get a master's and they'll be, become CFOs and CEOs and chief operating officers and managers, that sort of thing. So, and, and then my... Um, specific uh, kind of subject matter expertise is in healthcare law and ethics and compliance. Um, BYU-Idaho has a great 
uh, on-campus program here in this degree. Um, but then they also have, we've been doing a lot of work in the online environment and both for domestic and international students in another degree that's called applied health. So that's kind of what I, I do uh, for them. We, we were talking offline that uh, you were working remotely. So are the courses that you, do you teach some courses? And if you do so, are those online courses? Yes, uh, much, much of them are online. So um, I teach either asynchronous online, but sometimes we have synchronous, you know, classes where you have Zoom and, and you know, you're meeting with students that way. And uh, so that's predominantly how I uh, am involved in the teaching. And then I help develop courses and those sorts right. of things. Did y'all develop that during the pandemic or were y'all already have a strong no. online? Yeah, program? we were. That's a great question. We were already very strong online presence uh, well before the pandemic. Of course, the pandemic kind of accelerated that a little bit. But yeah, we had a good presence beforehand. Okay. I want to get to your education because I see all these letters after your name. You got the and MD. Silly, right? <laughs> yeah, you got the MED. You got the CPC. I guess you're going to get the JD here since you do law and ethics as well. So uh... <laughs> my, my wife won't let me do any more school. She says, you're done, buddy. <laughs> what I, I love that you also have that CPC is that are you like a unicorn in that regard are there a lot of MDs who also have the CPC out there yeah there are some um you know it, it's kind of interesting I mean I came from a route of uh medical school and then making a career change and okay. doing healthcare administration full-time and so I was involved in revenue cycle and compliance. And so I was teaching doctors and hospital personnel about coding and docu documentation and auditing and that sort of thing. So that's where the CPC came in. There are some docs out there though, that like are more like their career is more the clinical route. And then they get the CPC kind of after years of, of working in the clinical route. So mine was a little departure shortly after medical school from the clinical route. Okay. So did you practice uh, medicine for a while and you just decided you wanted to get on that administrative side? Is that how that played out? Yeah, so I, very short time did I do that. Did I practice after medical school? And I, I got into the kind of the administrative side really quickly. Um, you know, I just found that, uh, you know, direct patient care was just not my passion. Sure. Um, I'm so grateful for the people who do it and or who are good at it and you know, I, it just was not my passion. And I, I love to teach and I love to kind of be involved in operations and administration, and those kinds of things. So mm -hmm. that, that kind of is where my, my life took me. It's kind of weird, right? None of us kind of decides where we're going to be. It just kind of enjoy the journey. <laughs> it's how life works out. I have two master's degrees and I don't do either one of those. I've been a journalist and in the media for 30 years after getting two masters. So it's right. just, you, you know, it's it's a lot to ask someone at a certain age to go figure out what you want to do. And then you get out there and you evolve as a person and you go, you know, I actually want to be doing that other thing. So yeah, spot on. <laughs> yeah. So for you in developing courses, teaching courses, do you have a favorite? Do you have one that you really gets the juices flowing, gets the adrenaline flowing? Yeah, I love teaching kind of clinical principles um, to folks who are not necessarily going to be clinical but are gonna be interacting with clinical people. So okay. coders, right? Like they aren't necessarily, some are, I mean, some might be nurses, doctors, whatever. They might come from a clinical background, but they're not gonna spend their lives in the clinical realm. And, you know, administrators, managers, 
and but they need to talk to people and understand the clinical process and how things work. And so that's kind of my favorite is is kind of combining the the uh, pathophysiology of disease with oh, and this is how it might play out in business sense. This is how it might play out in your revenue cycle or in your compliance work. Okay. Now, I love this. You you shared a uh, quote with MGMA through some correspondence in developing your presentation. You say, enforcement agencies are not slowing down when it comes to investigations, settlements, and legal actions relating to non-compliant coding and billing activities and medical practices. What I wanted to ask you was, and it might be both sides here, but are we making um, coding and billing activities too complex or are we not properly training the billers and coders out there? I mean, where is what's going on here um, that's causing all of these investigations and this non-compliant activity? Yeah, you know, I, I guess I should start off by saying almost everybody I work with, you know, tries to be compliant, right? There's very few people in this world who wake up in the morning and say, hmm, how can I defraud the government? <laughs> But there are people like that, sure, but, sure. but I think they're the, the exception. And so part of it is those folks. But the other part is just um, people, uh, doctors, nurses, administrators, they're busy. They're, they have yeah. certain tasks and all of these regulations are thrown at them and they're changing and it's kind of hard to keep up and translate and this and that. And so I think what a lot of organizations fall into is more kind of a waste and abuse, not necessarily intentional, but you still have to pay the money back when when there's been mistakes and um you know there's two major enforcement agencies kind of in this healthcare space the the US Department of Justice and then the HHS OIG they both recoup billions of dollars every okay. year um you know and what's interesting the OIG recently published that for every dollar they invest they recoup 12 dollars okay so wouldn't you like an investment like that? I would like, love I a business buy, like that. <laughs> right. And so it's not going away. Um, right. You know, I think human nature is such that people don't pay attention to the, the fine print, um, which are all these Medicare rules, Medicaid rules. Uh, the DOJ also has a big stick called the False Claims Act. And uh, in their most recent report, they recovered $2.2 in False Claim Act settlements and 1.7 of that, 1.7 billion was from the healthcare industry. So it's just kind of the biggest, biggest thing and it's just not going away. Good gracious. All right, well, let's get into some specifics then. So where are some of those biggest risk areas in coding and billing? Yeah, so a lot of the listeners probably have heard of some of these. If not, I can explain them if you think. Uh, so medical necessity is a big one, upcoding, um, incorrect use of, of coding modifiers, incorrect diagnosis coding, and then incident two regulations. Uh, these are some of the things that you know we've, we've discussed at various conferences, and I'm happy to kind of dive into any of those if you think any of those sound interesting. But those are the, kind of the big buckets that I see right now for, for medical practices. Yeah, I think it would be helpful then to tell us why. Why are those the risk areas? Why are those yeah. the ones where investigations are taking place where problems are taking place. Yeah, I'll start with medical necessity. So medical necessity is kind of the driving factor for uh, 
for services being provided. Let's stick with Medicare and Medicaid, for example. Mm -hmm. and, and medical necessity by these payers has usually a different definition than what physicians think. And so physicians think I need to do this service because it's you know in the best interest, but these insurance companies, which is what they are, might not cover them. And so doctors feel this is medically necessary for, for the patient, but Medicare has put a restriction on reimbursement. So there's like this disconnect. So medical necessity, I think, is, is a really uh, key one. Um, upcoding, you know, and, and the other thing I should say is we all know in healthcare that margins, operation margins and profit margins are razor thin. Okay. And so people are under pressure to generate revenue. And the way mm -hmm. you generate revenue is through coding and billing. Um, and so, you know, you might, you might be uh, tempted to say, oh, uh, it, with upcoding, for example, that's the, the practice of billing a higher level medical code when really the lower code was warranted. And, okay. and sometimes we all think, oh, our services are a lot more valuable than they really are. So we all might think, oh, yeah, that was a, a level four or a level five visit. But in reality, it was a level two or a level three. Um, and then I'll, I'll just mention one other is incident two regulations. Um, physician practices are often hiring nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and there's two ways to bill in those scenarios. If you, you, if you utilize these um, types of providers, you can bill in the physician's name and get 100% of the reimbursement on the Medicare fee schedule. If you bill in the nurse practitioner's name or the PA's name, you get you know, 85, 80%, something like that. And so it's, it's a reduced amount. Well, in, so everyone will says, oh, let's bill in the higher rate. Well, to do that though, you have to jump through a bunch of documentation hoops, a bunch of supervision requirements. And so you can do it one way or the other, but if you're gonna do it, the, the higher reimbursement rate, there's a little bit more uh, strings attached, so to speak. Okay. And people just kind of miss that in the busyness of the day. Right. Okay. So we laid out what the problems are and the risk areas. So what can practices do to better equip themselves? Is it in training? Is it in time management? What is needs to be done so you, you're not looking over your shoulder all the time? Yeah, I think the most important thing is having a compliance program okay. and having somebody dedicated. You know, MGMA's uh, body of knowledge, um, you know, uh, books, uh, yep. one of them is devoted to compliance. Um, and regulations. And having a compliance program is really essential. Some small practices might not be able to hire, uh, you know, a full-time compliance officer, but then they should at least be outsourcing some of those compliance activities and still having them done. Other larger practices might be in a situation where they could hire a full-time compliance officer where their job is to, you know, keep on top of all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. Couple of questions before we sign off then. Do you have a real life example then, a case study, anything about an investigation just to kind of give us, I mean, many of our listeners may have been investigated, but yeah. for those that haven't, just give us an idea of what that looks like. Yeah, so there was one recently, this was uh, late last year. So the settlement was announced late December. So just you know, four months ago or so. Mm -hmm. It was a, a physician practice in Connecticut and um, they were investigated and they ended up settling for $4.2 million. These wow. investigations usually go to some sort of settlement process as opposed to going to court, though some physicians and hospitals and other providers will actually go to court and try to fight it, but most settle. 
And in this particular case, uh, the issue was um, during COVID, everyone was doing COVID tests, right? Mm -hmm. And rightfully so. Um, and patients would come in and get COVID tests. But just because a patient comes in to get a test done doesn't mean you did an office visit. And this particular practice was reporting office visits whenever patients were coming in to get a COVID test. Now, what's difficult here is sometimes it's appropriate. Like if you did a full workup, if you did a history, an exam, maybe you did chest x-rays, you, you know, you did a full office visit, which is called an evaluation and management code or E&M code, then it's okay to report the test plus the, plus the visit. And you use a modifier called modifier 25. And, and in this particular settlement, the practice was using that modifier 25 and the E&M or the office visit wasn't distinct enough, wasn't separate enough from the, the lab test. And so that's one of the areas where they got dinged. And, and what happened then is that once the investigators are in, they look at other areas in the practice and they, they found some other issues with medical necessity of allergy services um, and, and different things like this. And so unfortunately, and, and the other thing I should mention, um, under the False Claims Act, whist there's whistleblower provisions. Mm -hmm. So whistleblowers can get a fraction or a percentage of the recoveries. Mm -hmm. So like in this example, you know, if the recovery was $4 million, you know, the whistleblower might get 15%. Oh, and, wow. so, and so there's this incentive. Most whistleblowers report internally. And that's why I mentioned the importance of having a compliance program. Okay. Because if you have a reporting structure and a way to investigate and monitor, then those things can be taken care of in-house as opposed to a whistleblower fil filing a lawsuit saying, you know, this practice, I reported it and they never listened to me and they just kept doing this. And so uh, that's how a lot of these um, investigations and allegations come to settlement and, and come actually come to come to light is through a whistleblower. Okay. You talked about MGMA's body of knowledge earlier, but are there other resources you can point our listeners to who want to know more about coding and billing compliance, a, a website, white yeah. papers, anything where they can get more information. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll give myself a <laughs> plug here. Like, yeah. uh, I do some consulting as well. If you're interested, you can look on YouTube, uh, search compliance reality. I do some free videos. Um, also on LinkedIn, I, I'm posting stuff all the time. Under, if you just search for compliance reality and, and my web and my email is info at compliancereality.com. But then there's a lot of professional societies. Mm -hmm. So the American, uh, the AAPC, which is uh, started off as professional coders and certified coders, they have a lot of good information. AHIMA is another good organization. And then, um, well, MGMA, of course. And then um, HCCA is a healthcare compliance association. So they focus specifically on healthcare compliance issues. Um, those would be some really great uh, places to to probably go if you need additional information. Okay. Before I let you uh, go, I have to ask you, since you have that CPC behind your name, what's your favorite code? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, I'll, I'll have to pick, I'll have to pick a modifier. Okay. Which is modifier 59. I love it because it's, it designates separate. So it's kind of the modifier you use if you need to, appropriately unbundle something. 
unbundling can also be a risk in encoding and billing. And if you do it inappropriately, you get dinged and have fines. And But if you use it appropriately under the right circumstances, modifier 59 is a good modifier. It's a way to tell a clinical story that, hey, I know this looks like I'm unbundling, but I actually did these things separately. So there you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Modifier 59. Well, Dr. Wolf, thanks so much for joining uh, the MGMA podcast and sharing these thoughts with us today. I appreciate it, Daniel. Thank you so much. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of MGMA's Insights Podcast. Thanks again to Dr. C.J. Wolf, faculty member of Health Services at BYU-Idaho. As a reminder, you can hear Dr. Wolf speak on this topic, coding and billing compliance enforcement updates at MGMA Summit digital event. That's going to be Wednesday, June 7th. So go to mgma.com events to learn more and to register. And thanks for being a loyal listener to the MGMA Podcast Network. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage when it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance. There's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for, so you can silo your disparate systems and make data-backed business decisions. Visit mgma.com slash analytics and see how AI can revolutionize your finances and operations. Again, visit mgma.com slash analytics today.